I want to thank Lori for reading the scripture for us. It's a reminder that we are one church gathered in different ways here in the building and online. And so some of our worship will originate in homes and bring into the building. And some of the worship will be originated in the building and we're bringing into homes and we're all together united by God's Holy Spirit. So a good reminder for us. So we're uh, continuing in our sermon series through Second Corinthians, and we are calling it All the Ups and Downs, and talking about how God is the God of all the highs and the lows of our lives. He is with us every step. And my hope for us as a church, as we journey through these texts, and as we are growing uh, in our faith and in our knowledge of God and His Word, that we would actually become steadier people, that we would become uh, people whose feet are firmly rooted in our faith, that we, would, we wouldn't be easily tossed to and fro by every changing thing. We live in a world that's very volatile. We live in a world that's very reactionary. And if we, as people of faith, can live lives that are steadfast, that are grounded, uh, that is a blessing to the world. We're actually bringing the good news of Jesus with us uh, to our world by living that way of life. With that said, so my hope is that we are going to grow in our steadiness, but none of us will ever be immune from the ups and downs of life. People of faith, strong people of faith, will experience these kinds of things. And if you want any example, just read 2 Corinthians. Here's the Apostle Paul, an amazing person of faith, And he experienced a lot of ups and downs, particularly in his relationship with this church in Corinth. And so for us, it's not that we're going to eliminate the ups and downs, but that we how we respond to them in faith together. So today, uh, that is our hope for us as we've gathered. And I just want to pray as we approach God's word. So let's pray. Father, we pray in this time that you would be our teacher. That you would be transforming us to be more like Jesus every day, Lord. And we come to you in this moment with all that we are. And pray that you meet us where we're at. That you would teach us that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're, can, we're talking about sorrow, and on the flip side of sorrow is joy, the, the ups and downs of joy and sorrow. It's uh, the very common ups and downs that we all experience in different ways. I think sometimes we experience joy and sorrow at the same time, in the very same moment. I read an interesting news article this week. It was entitled, Amid Tears and Laughter, Visits Resume in Nursing Homes. And it was a story about Massachusetts where uh, after three months of being completely shut down to visitors, nursing homes are now, uh, you can visit people who live in nursing homes. So those who were not able to receive visits and those who were not able to visit their loved ones have been able to do that. And I read the article, I talked to a friend of mine who has this week had that experience of uh, reuniting with her mother in person uh, at one of these visits. And it was interesting because the article in this conversation I had really highlighted that it was just a beautiful moment of joy, but still a lot of sorrow. Um, I heard described to me that the, the joy of seeing mom, but the, just the, the pain of seeing the toll that isolation took on her mother in her mother's face. 
and still not being able to hug and still not being able to see all of the face with a mask on and having to go through this arduous process. And so again, great joy of being present with somebody, but the, the sadness of, or even frustration with decision makers and policies and all these things all at once, you just feel all the ups and downs. Uh, For those of you who have uh, chosen to gather in the building today, what a great moment of joy to see each other and to be together. And then you realize it's kind of uncomfortable. Like you sing into that mask, like that thing heats up fast and it's not fun. And so there's some frustration and the physical frustration in that, but the joy of being here together. So we, we, I think we can all feel it uh, in one way or another. And so, oh, and then for you at home, you, maybe you, there's a certain sadness because you'd want to be in this building, but that's not the right choice for you right now. And it's not a good choice for you right now. And, and so there's, there's, you know, joy in worshiping right now, but also uh, the sadness right with it. So I want to consider sorrow today, uh, three different types of sorrow. And, and the way that God meets us in our sorrow is very different. Um, depending on what kind of sorrow we're having. So I want to talk about three. They all begin with the letter G. So we're going to talk about grief. I want to talk about guilt. And I want to talk about godly sorrow. A little bit of background on this passage of of Scripture. Here we have, uh, again, the Apostle Paul. He had been traveling around. He planted this church in Corinth. And he spent a year and a half there. He spent a lot of time with these people. He had seen some amazing things happen. People coming to faith in Jesus in this young church blossoming. Uh, and then, but over time after he left, there was some tension. There was some other leaders came in. There was some factions within the church. There was some sinful behaviors. And he's writing them letters. And he had had a, a brief visit. On one brief visit to this church, he had returned back. And something went wrong. And we don't know all the details, but there was some kind of conflict There was an individual or perhaps a group of individuals who uh, were undermining Paul's authority. They were false. They were teaching false things. And it was whatever it was, it was bad. And after the brief visit, Paul decided to write a letter. And it was a harsh letter. It was a letter of rebuke. And he sent it with his companion Titus. And he sends it to the church. He doesn't know how they're going to respond. And then... It tries to catch up with Titus afterwards. They miscommunicate. They don't find each other right away. And there's this deep anguish that Paul feels about writing the letter and not knowing how it went. And, and we see that the first type of sorrow here is grief. Look at verse 5. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. He's experiencing the, the, the sorrow of grief, because grief always involves the loss of something. And here, the, the threat really was the loss of relationship with this church. Could have been the loss of the whole church. They really could have gone on a bad path. Um, they could have completely rejected Paul's authority and what he had established. And at a minimum, I mean, it would have drastically changed his relationship with these people who he loved so dearly, who he had lived with, who he had toiled with. And um, so what do we do with grief? And when we experience grief, God is with us. Look at verse 6. He says, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. 
that when we experience grief, we know that we have a God who desires to comfort those who are grieving. In this case, it was through Titus. It was through a good report. They were able to reconnect. Titus uh, let them know that the matter had been resolved, that there was peace in the church, and that their relationship to, to Paul was fully restored, and they had responded well to this letter. Um, so th- there's just good news for the grief, for those who have grief, who are grieving, that God comforts the downcast. This whole letter started where Paul wrote. He wrote in chapter 1, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. And we looked at that passage a couple weeks ago. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, just in chapter 40, starts off, Comfort, comfort my people. God sees his people grieving. He sees how we are harassed. He sees the things that weigh us down. And the God of the universe speaks words of comfort to us and brings us comfort by his very presence into our lives. And I declare to you today, sitting here and at home, that God desires to comfort you in your grief. How do we know? How can we be sure that God wants to comfort us? We know because Jesus took the ultimate grief. Jesus took the ultimate loss on himself. God the Son on the cross crying out to God the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The the anguish of Jesus' prayer, Father, if this cup of suffering could be taken from me, yet not my will, yours be done. He entered into the greatest grief to bring us the greatest joy. To bring us the ultimate comfort of our salvation. To, to know his very presence in our lives. Jesus takes our grief and our losses and he gives us hope. And he gives us new life in him. Ultimately. For us, we, we need to understand that grief is going to exist in our world. And grief is going to exist in our church. And our church needs to be a place where we can grieve together. It needs to be a place where we can lament together. And it's going to be a season where there's new grief. Even coming back into the building after being gone since March can remind us of all of the things that have been lost in the meantime. Some people over these last number of weeks have lost family members. And you're reminded of that as you come back in the building, realizing that you're not going to be with that person again in this place. Other people have lost opportunities and jobs since we last met. 36 million people in our country file for unemployment over these weeks. Massive amounts of people, many in our community, grieving the loss of those opportunities. There's uh, those who have lost relationships and marriages that have become strained or lost during this season. Unfortunately, we've seen that. And there's great grief that comes with that. Some people are grieving the the violence that they see and murder and grieving the tensions of uh, of racism and, and racial tension and systemic problems. And that brings grief to people. And we're, we're experiencing that in different ways. But we know that in our grief, we receive comfort from a God who desires greatly to comfort his people. And then we walk together through that with each other. One of the ways that we do that is through our grief share program. And that's going to be starting up this summer. We're going to have a new, uh, or starting shortly, grief share. That's specifically for people who have lost loved ones in death. That not the other types of grief, not 
not so much, but that's a specific way that we walk with one another through these things. Because we're going to experience grief in a broken world. That's the first type of sorrow. The second type of sorrow I call guilt. So let's take a look at that, verse 8. It says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. It's worldly sorrow. I'm calling this guilt, the guilt of worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is a very shallow kind of a sorrow. It's remorse, it's self-pity, it's bitterness, it's being upset about the consequences of your actions. Uh, for some people, it may bring out feelings of shame. You know, I've done something wrong, and therefore my life is not worth anything or not worth what it should be. And it's this worldly sorrow, this guilt. It doesn't lead to any good constructive action. It just uh, Some people just wallow in it. Other people try to just drown it out and uh, try to numb that type of guilt. But if you wallow in guilt, it will kill you. This passage says, worldly sorrow brings death. It reminds me of two of Jesus' followers, a man named Peter and a man named Judas. Both betrayed Jesus. Jesus actually predicted that both of these men would betray him. Both had an opportunity to turn from that. And yet it was Peter who found repentance and forgiveness but Judas, it was his guilt and his remorse uh, and, and the, of, of his actions that led to him taking his own life. Guilt, worldly sorrow, it is not good. There's, and there's not a lot you can do with it because you can only just try to punish yourself or try to fix things, but you can't always fix things when you've done wrong. Sometimes too much time has passed, or somebody has passed away, or it's, 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 it's too far removed. You can't fix it. But we have Jesus. We have Jesus. We, because Jesus came, we don't have to just wallow in our guilt. We don't have to wallow in the sorrow, this worldly sorrow. So Jesus came, and he perfectly took our guilt on himself on the cross, and he died in our place, that we could be forgiven and healed from that. You don't have to hold your guilt. He took it to give you his forgiveness, to give you his righteousness and the salvation that that brings. We receive his grace. And if that's you today, if in any way you have brought guilt with you to this place or wherever, you're, wherever you are right now, if you have a sense of guilt, all you need to do is turn to God and receive his grace. Receive that forgiveness. Receive the healing. He has accomplished all that you need. As scripture said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. It, we do not have to carry that guilt if we trust what he accomplished. So because Jesus accomplished all that we need, we can experience the third kind of sorrow. So not guilt, but this third kind of sorrow is godly sorrow. 
This is the kind of sorrow that God intends. This is the kind of sorrow that God can use. In the context, the the Apostle Paul, he had to do something very difficult. He had to write a letter, and he had to write this very harsh letter. And he knows it was hard. He knows that it hurt them. He knows that it grieved them to read it. And it really grieved him to write it as well. And he didn't really want to do it, but he loved them enough to do it. And we all live on the spectrum of you know, conflict avoiding. Some of us like to avoid conflict. Some of us, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, are more attacking or uh, tend to be more confrontational. And wherever you land on that spectrum, what Paul did was very loving. It was his heart that motivated him to say some very hard things to people that he loved. And, and, it, and it led them to repentance. Repentance is a huge theme of Scripture. This, all of the story of, of God's good world is this, that God created the world and it was good and God's way is good, but we as humans turn from God's way, we go our own way, and it ruins that good world. And it, we call that sin, going our own way. And we need to repent. We need to turn from our own way back to God. That's Repentance. And as we repent, we receive his grace and we can move forward in his way once again. God offers us that. Repentance is a, a gift. So when Jesus started his public ministry, he didn't come out and say, hey, uh, God loves you and so do I. That's not the first thing he said. You look in the Gospel of Mark. The first thing Jesus says when he comes on the scene is, repent, turn. He said the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? The good news is, yes, God does love you. Yes, God does desire to heal you from your sin, but you need to turn away from your sin and turn to him. And godly sorrow helps us to do that. It can include sadness. It includes this sorrow. But it led them to action. Look at verse 11. It says, see what godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. It, it, it took them from a place of deep conflict and trouble, and it moved them to a place of good action where they could have peace among themselves and continue to be a blessing to their city, to Corinth. The, the, the same is, is for us as we turn, that God can use that. And it prompts us to good action. I've been on my own journey of, of sorrow and, and different aspects of, of my own life. I, last a week ago, if you, saw, if you were uh, part of the, the worship service, I was able to speak about sins of racism and all the injustices that flow from them. And we, uh, I got a lot of good feedback and a lot of helpful conversations were started around that. From, from last week. So I appreciate the feedback and the, 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 the dialogue that that started. If you uh, missed it, you can catch that online. But what that flowed from, in many ways, was a week before, on the 31st of, of May, uh, I had been criticized for not addressing it the week before. And that critique and that criticism came to me. And that, there, was some, there was actually a lot of sadness around that for me. For a number of reasons. One is because I thought there was some misunderstanding. There was some timing issues. Uh, but I, my first inclination was to just kind of wallow in the sadness and feel bad about it. Uh, my second inclination was to ignore it. To say, well, you know, what can I do? 
But by the grace of God, God's been using that, the, the critique that I received, using that uh, to really check my own heart. And, and really, you know, where am I with this? How am I using my platform as a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, to, uh, to, take, to, to speak to important issues of our day? And to, to, to bring the gospel to bear in these important ways. So, because I, I felt like I'd been doing that, and um, we've talked about these issues before. So I went into my notes. I have an archive of my sermon notes, and I can just keyword, I just search. And I searched words like racism and see how many results I get. Racial tension, uh, injustice. I'm just looking for these different words, and I'm just seeing how many messages we've talked about these kind of things. And what I found was interesting. First of all, uh, the first thing I found was that, yes, we have talked about these things. We have addressed them. And that I was looking at past notes and uh, remembering the ways that we've done that. So that was one. Secondly, that uh, have not spoken about these things nearly as much as I thought I had. So I would have given myself way more credit. And then when I actually start to search through these notes, I'm seeing, oh, okay, this is a lot less than what I had thought. And that, um, that woke me up a little bit to say, actually, you know what? We, uh, these are things that we feel passionately about. We maybe should be talking about them certainly uh, more often than what I was seeing in my little, my little search thing that I did. Um, but, it, but my point is that it was the sorrow of this criticism, which was kind of a harsh criticism. It was the sorrow of that that actually put me on this journey to help me realize things that I would have never really confronted or seen in the same way had I not received that. God used it for me, and I pray that it will lead me to action. And I think in the weeks and months to come, that we'll see. Uh, but for me, I just pray that God continue to use the things that, that bring me sorrow, that he would, it would be things that he helps me to repent of what I need to and lead me to that good action. There's good sorrow and there's bad sorrow. I pray that we would all experience the good sorrow, this good godly sorrow that God uh, can, in, he, that he intends for us and that he can use. And the beautiful thing is this. As we do it, we can then take action that blesses our world. So you experience your sorrow, but it moves you to action that then is something that we share and, and, and God is using it all for his glory. In that sense, our sorrow is genuinely turned into joy. And we remember Jesus. He was known in scripture as a man of sorrows. We know that Jesus understood the connection of sorrow and joy. We know it because he went to the cross. We know it as Hebrew 12 says. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. That Jesus understood the joy that would come with the resurrection. Jesus knew the joy that would come with the forgiveness and of our salvation and the eternal life that he brings us. So he went to the sorrow. He went to the sorrow of the cross. He did it for you and he did it for me. And during these difficult days for us, whatever joys and whatever grief you feel, whatever sorrow you feel, I pray that it would remind you that yes, God's world was created good, but it is very broken by sin. And in some way, shape or form, you're going to experience the pain of that and the sorrow of that. And experience it, experiencing it reminds us that God desires to transform it and heal it and use it to bless you for his glory and for the world that he is restoring. And I pray that in our grief, we'd find the comfort and that in our sorrow, it would lead us to repentance 
and to experience God's salvation. Let us pray. Father, may it be. May we truly be people who trust you. Uh, Lord, I, there's so many things that weigh us down. There are so many things that, that we've, that we, ways that we experience loss or ways that we um, sorrow for things that even we've done in our lives, Lord. We just pray that we would know that you are a God who comforts, that you are a God who restores, and that it would lead us, that it would motivate us and prompt us to follow you. And that you would be glorified in that. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us hope in every way. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.